All right, school is in session. So take your seats and turn up the volume. volume. It's time for the smartest fishing show on the internet. This is the show that dives into everything fishing from tactics and gear to policy and product. Here he is, the fishing professor, Professor Sid Dobrin. So stick around, you might learn something. I bet you're going fishing all of the time. Baby going fishing too. Bet your life, your sweet wife is going to catch more fish than you. Many fish bites if you got good bait. Oh, here's a little tip that I would like to relate. With my pole, baby, and my line. I'm a going fishing. Yes, I'm going fishing. And my baby going fishing too. All right. Welcome to the Inventive Fishing Fishing Professor Show. I am Sid Dobrin, the fishing professor. And I am so damn glad you have tuned into the Fishing Professor Show today because we have got Eric Botchnik of Miralure in the inshore offshore digital studio today. Miralure, of course, is that iconic lure manufacturer that caters to inshore fishing. And we're going to talk lures and fishing with Mr. Botchnik in order to get some real pro info. We'll also be pouring a few fingers of bullet bourbon in today's bourbon break, and we'll be counting down the fishing professor's top 10 inshore search baits. Hey, just a quick reminder before we get the throttle down that the Inventive Fishing Show is owned and operated by Inventive Fishing LLC, but we are not sponsored by anyone, so everything we convey on the show comes from the heart, not from corporate influence. Of course, we are always open to being influenced by the corporation, by the man, by sponsorship and bribery. So don't hear our independence as a statement of resistance against capital influence, but as a condition of the moment, which we hope to overcome as our listening crew expands. So spread the word about the Fishing Professor Show, and someone maybe in the industry might take note of all the good times we're having here on the show. So start sharing our links with your network as you listen. And so, you know, if you ever need it and you want to make a comment or leave a question about anything on the show, feel free to email me at sid at inventivefishing.com. So let's make like Marvin Gaye and let's get it on. All right. Well, we have got a true angling aficionado in the inshore offshore digital studio today. We are fortunate to have Eric Botchnik, owner of LNS Bait Company, the parrot company for the iconic mirror lure line of lures, as well as island lures, which makes some remarkable trolling lures, which you've probably heard me talk about in several of the fishing professors' top 10 lists. LNS also distributes Tidal Surge Lures, a Texas based company that produces some really unique soft bodies like the Manic Mullet and the Crazy Croaker, both of which I've reviewed on the Inventive Fishing web pages and the Inventive Fishing YouTube channel. They also make the Tidal Surge Split Tail Mullet, which is a great soft body. And of course, LNS is parent to the classic Paul Brown lures. You know, I hear myself using words like iconic and classic when talking about mirror lures and the other LNS brands, and I realized those really are the kinds of descriptors that Mirror Lure deserves given their long-held reputation among anglers. Now, I don't know if it's more accurate to describe Eric Botchnik as a savvy, as a savvy lure manufacturer who also fishes, or to describe him as a fanatic angler who happens to make some of the most iconic inshore lures on the market. Either way, I'm thrilled to have Eric Botchnik in the inshore offshore digital studio today. Eric, thanks so much for taking the time to be here. It's great to see you. Sid, thank you so much for having me. And uh, 
I just love fishing and love uh, talking about, you know, the company and what my uh, grandfather has built uh, over the many years that uh, that he drove LNS Bait Company forward. Well, that's that's a great intro into this because the first thing I wanted to get you to talk about is I love origin stories and I know a little bit about the LNS origin story and the Harold Lemaster uh, being a carpenter who would whittle lures. Tell but give us the details. Give us that origin story. Okay, yeah, he was a carpenter by trade um, back in Kankakee, Illinois. Um, obviously, they had uh, a lot of a lot of freshwater uh, species on the Kankakee River and. He just got the idea of, hey, uh, you know, I'm a fisherman and um, I, 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 let's start designing some some wooden baits. And uh, he would do that probably those long winters up there in Kankakee. And um, then in the springtime when ice broke, uh, he would bring those to the river and, you know, test them out, if you will. Um, so it's ironic that we sort of got our freshwater start back in Kankakee, Illinois, and he really uh, revved up the freshwater um, product line. He had um, the popular uh, panfish master, which was more of a, uh, a you know a panfish bait. The popular bass master, the pike master, the musky master. So he made all these different signs, uh, different sizes lures, and those were pretty much broken backs, you know, two body uh, piece construction. So he was um, he was doing quite well in, on the freshwater scene, and um, then he moved to Florida, um, still selling lots of freshwater baits, and then started designing you know saltwater baits, you know, and um, that's sort of where we uh, where we're seen right now as a saltwater lure manufacturer. So it's sort of there's some irony there that uh, we, we 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 got our roots in the freshwater market. However, uh, right now you know we're basically 100% saltwater with the product lines that we offer uh, the market. I, if I remember correctly, I've heard you talk about that he uh, he lived over on the Alifaya, um, and that one of the that the way the name Miralure came into play was that he had seen someone fishing with a lure that was very reflective, and he liked the idea of building that reflective body. Is that is that an yeah, accurate? That, that that is true, and um, it's it's I don't know where he really got the idea. I, I certainly would have you know didn't, didn't think about asking those questions when I was a teenager, or even. Uh, younger than that, you know, he just, he did, I just knew him as, as the, the guy, my grandfather that made fishing lures, but boy, I, I would have liked to, 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 to really ask him those questions, but yeah, there was quite a few, there was a, several lures that uh, the Cisco kid was built in this area as well. And the Cisco kid was one also that put the insert inside the bait. So I'm not sure whether, whether, whether we got the idea from Cisco kid or whether Cisco kid got it from us. I, I don't really know, but uh, that's where the name mirror uh, lure came from is the mirror image that we put inside the lure. Mm -hmm. Hey, I remember reading a while back and I mean a while back, like 20 years ago that even back then mirror lure was turning out lures at a rate of about one every 12 seconds. Uh, comparatively, how many more are you producing now? And I know you're not going to well, say we've we've certainly been blessed over the last couple of years with a lot of new anglers in in fishing. And um, we definitely saw some uh, some spike in sales. Uh, it's certainly slowed down now, but uh, we have we did ramp up. We almost doubled our production during the pandemic. Um, and uh, and it was great to, to try to catch up. It's, you know, normally in our industry, we don't see those big spikes like the uh you know, the shooting sports do, um, oh, uh, we just are pretty flat, you know, so, 
Um, it was nice to have something, you know, either way, you know, go sort of help our sales, you know, and I hate to say capitalize on the pandemic, but it, it was one of those things that really helped our business, you know, flourish. Yeah, so you're sort of anticipating a couple of other things I wanted to ask you about. And, you know, everybody in the industry has seen that surge in numbers of people taking up fishing for the first time. And one of the things we've seen in the industry, particularly, is a lot of new mothers taking up saltwater fishing. And I heard you talk about how important it was for you that your father introduced you and your brother Frank to fishing, and that as a father of daughters, you've been very attentive to teaching them to fish as well. Could you talk about the importance of both family traditions of teaching fishing and also the importance of bringing more women into the sport? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, one great thing about about the boat um, or take going out on the boat, you know, and fishing is all barriers are down. You know, you're there enjoying the scenery. You're watching the wildlife. You know, you're casting and it seems like, you know, there's no barrier. So you can approach, you know, most situations and it's just a great time. You know, it's hard to fish with a cell phone, uh, you know, in your hand, but um, I'm sure there's some, someone that can do that. But anyways, um, so that that's really important, you know, and having two daughters um, and they, they, especially females, they listen so well, you know, they really do. So you find that they catch on pretty quickly and their skill level, I think advances a little faster than a lot of males. Um, so um, boy, it's great to, you know, and it's one of those sports where, you know, you're not, you know, not, not hitting from the, the forward tee when golf, you know, you're in the boat and, and, and everything is equal, if you will, you know, and, um, you know, certainly there's some luck factor there. Skill level helps, you know, at, 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 at you know, definitely catching more fish. But uh, overall, it's just a great environment uh, to, to bring the whole family activity um, of fishing. And um, we're just, we're just, I'm just so happy to have gotten my family um, involved and, and have had a, you know, grandfather and father that introduced me both to fishing and hunting and, and uh, just, just fantastic. Fantastic. Yes. So, you know, the lure industry is an interesting industry to keep an eye on, particularly when you look at how lure manufacturers from other countries bring their lures into the U S but I read somewhere that mirror lure also exports a significant number of lures each year. How important has the international market been to mirror lure? And what are some of the other countries where mirror lures are popular? Well, um, we, we do export a lot into the, to the island uh, countries um, down in the Caribbean. Uh, they use a lot of, uh, you know, hard baits there. Where we specifically sell a lot of lures abroad is our island lure market. I think there's 86 different countries that we send island lures, South Africa being a huge market for us. Um, anywhere where there's a, you know, blue water trolling, um, we, we typically have a market there for it, for making everything from dolphin lures all the way to, uh, to marlin lures. So um, that's sort of nice. That's not the largest portion of our business, but, you know, it's, it's nice. Maybe 10% of our um, island lure business is, is, is sent abroad. So that's nice, you know, um, and um, we're just blessed to have, have found that. And uh, with mirror lure again, um, uh, South America uses uh, quite a few of our stuff, uh, quite a bit of our stuff and um, you know, um, South Africa as well. So. That's, that's really interesting. I I've talked about Island lures. I do, you know, on the show, we do the top 10 and I've had several Island lures 
featured in top 10 dolphin lures, top 10 Wahoo lures and those kinds of things. And so the Island lure line is really great. It's also interesting because I assume based on the way that mirror lure promotes its products that in the U S your primary market is Southeast, say from Texas up and around through the Chesapeake Bay, maybe a little further up the East coast into the bluefish and striper territory, but not too far North and certainly more Southern U S and East coast U S than West coast. Is that an accurate assumption of, of where your lures are being? It up? really is. Uh, we uh, acquired um, drone spoons a little over two years ago. We actually went up there in January of when the pandemic first started in our country. So we were back moving uh, drone back to Florida here um, when, 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 you know, this, this all started um, with COVID. But um, so that has given us a little bit greater exposure north of the Chesapeake. The drone spoon is used, you know, with striper, bluefish, and even Spanish mackerel. I didn't realize how, how much Spanish mackerel fishing is done in the Chesapeake. It's a short window, you know, given mainly July and August, but it's, uh, you know, a lot of folks like to go out there and, and do some trolling. So that, that sort of enabled us, uh, you know, to expand our market a little bit, but typically it's like you said, Brownsville to Chesapeake. And, and another good thing, since we're selling saltwater uh, product lines, you know, our customers, our distributors that we sell um, carry all our product lines. So that's sort of nice. Uh, we typically have the same buyer and um, so we can approach them and, and sell them all of our product lines. So that, that works out really well. Really glad to hear that drone is under your aegis. Now I love drone spoons and you know, you mentioned them uh, for mackerel. I think they're the best kingfish lure out there. Um, I also think they're particularly when you're working them on a planer, probably one of the top blackfin tuna lures available. I absolutely love trolling drones for uh, blackfin tuna. Well, that's good to know, Sid. I, the three and a half is an iconic lure. We actually used it back in the 80s and 90s, like you said, trolling on a number three planer for king mackerel and grouper just eat it up in Tampa Bay. Uh, so we were really happy to get it from uh, Lev Huntington, um, you know, and um, we've... Uh, we, we've really done a great job. And that's another company that we do a lot of exporting, um, uh, you know, because that spoon, it's, it's got a good mustad hook on it. It's really strong and they catch some really big fish on them for sure. They are great. Just great. And particularly with the color options on the backside, those are just, you know, phenomenal spoons. So let me shift just a little bit here, but back in the late 1990s, early 2000s, so right around the millennial shift, you were talking about trends in the lure industry. And at the time you noted there was an upswing in topwater fishing. And I think in about 1998, you introduced the top dog lure line, a line that now includes top dog, top dog, junior, top pup, she dog, she pup, and the papa dog, all of which have become staples for inshore topwater anglers. What is it about topwater inshore fishing that draws so many to those kinds of fishing experiences? Wow, it's it's just it's just so exciting, Sid. As you well know, to be cast on the topwater lure and seeing that explosion. Sometimes you can read how large the fish is. Sometimes they fool you with a little sipping of the uh, topwater, and you you catch the fish. It's like wow, that fish was was an accurate feeder. But uh, yeah, topwater's top dog was really one of the one of the one of those lures that really we drove out of the park, you know, and it's hard, you know, we always, a lot of companies come out with new products and, you know, they have maybe a short run. Certainly they all work, 
but to get one to stick and be one that you can branch off and, and make different sizes. Uh, we often said at that particular era, we were going to dog people to death with uh, top dog, you know, she dog, top pup, you know, top dog junior, you know, so it seems like, uh, you know, we get on a roll with something, you know, it's, it's good to have different sizes. And then we came out with a catch 2000 and we saw the trend, you know, the trend was always there with top water, but especially right around that, Oh, that nineties craze. There was a lot of topwater fishing as you, as you noted there. Um, but, um, then, you know, suspending, uh, twitch baits really, really came, got to be really popular. That's when we came out with a catch 2000. And that was another one we had out of the park. It's, uh, you know, it's not, the bait looks okay. It's not that impressive. It's got big eyes. It's got the mullet profile that doesn't have a lot of action, but um, it catches a lot of fish and it's still in our product line today and it's known as a big trout bait. So, um, so I guess from top water came suspending and I think we've been in the suspending category. That's been our most popular category since, uh, yeah, I'd say early two thousands. So we were just talking about the increase in the numbers of new anglers that have started fishing throughout uh, the pandemic and I, speaking of topwaters, I've seen the mirror lure prop bait marketed as the perfect beginner topwater. What is it about that particular lure that makes it such a great beginner bait for those learning topwater fishing? That's a that's a really really real good question. So the um, the, the mirror prop is it's a two treble hook bait, and you simply just cast it out, and if you can reel it stop it, reel it, stop it. Obviously a cadence with a twitch, pause, twitch, pause, and any, any angler can do that. So I always tell if you're new to, new to, um, you know, artificial fishing, you know, fish something that's very user-friendly and easy to work. Probably the, you know, the, the one that I would say the training wheels, if you will, of, of uh, artificial lures would be a small little lead head and a paddle tail simply cast it out. And if you can reel, you know, reel it in and, um, and, and it, it'll work, it'll catch fish, you know, then you get into hard baits and, you know, it's hard to beat a mirrodine. They're so user-friendly. You simply cast it out there. You can reel it back in, you can twitch it. And then when you go to top water, you know, the surface walker is one of the hardest lures in all artificial um, lures to, to sort of learn um, so you, you, you start with the prop bait and then you can graduate to the surface walker, which is my favorite top water because you can cover a tremendous amount of ground and it, it's just fun to fish to see those explosions. And, uh, boy, you sort of getting excited right now. I haven't been throwing a top water yet this spring and I, uh, I might have to do that this weekend. Ellis, I want to do that too. I think I'm going to surf cast this weekend though. So you mentioned the Miradine, and I got to tell you, one of the things I've been eager to ask you, and in fact, I will admit, I was too embarrassed to ask you this the last time we spoke at ICAST, but I've always wondered if it was Miradine or Miradine, because I hear it both ways. So I'm glad to get the definitive correct pronunciation now on Miradine. Um, I've heard several inshore tournament anglers say that the Miradine is flat out the best inshore lure out there. And I got to add that I particularly love the Miradine skin series, especially the pilchard and the pinfish patterns. So how did the development of the Miradine contribute to your response to the trends that you observe? Well, you know, um, obviously, um, 
you know, a shad profile or a pilchard profile, we call them uh, white bait over here in the Tampa Bay region. You know, it's a it, it's that wider body profile. Now, my grandfather, Harold, he did have a sort of a shad body. It was the glad shad, which is a 32 M. He also had the 47, uh, which was the larger version there. So he 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 also built some lures, but they they were really pretty fast sinkers. They were sinking twitch bait. So we basically said, hey, we know the the um, suspending category is quite popular. We got to build a pilchard or a shad body in that in in that uh, particular um, uh, uh, you know suspending twitch bait, and that's what we did in 2006 and. Boy, it was another one. We were pretty hot there for 10 years. Um, and uh, that one definitely pays the bills around LNS Bait Company. And uh, like you mentioned, the new skin series, which is just a natural bait pattern on top of the, uh, the you know, the, the actually we are going to have another size. But uh, anyways, um, it, it just worked out fantastic to have that natural bait fish presentation in the Miradine family. How would you coach anglers to fish the Miradine? Well, depending on first, you got two choices. You either go with the Miradine or the Heavy Dean. If you're fishing in in a lot of current and you want to get the lure to go down, say three to five feet of water, you're fishing and there's heavy current, I would select the Heavy Dean that sinks at about a foot per second. The Miradine is iconic in one to three feet of water, uh, not a lot of current, and um, uh, you can you fish them the same way. You basically, I like to cast it out. And I like to twitch, twitch, pause, twitch, twitch, pause. That's the way I like to fish it. It's But there are other folks that have a tremendous amount of fish. I mean, uh, success fishing it differently. Maybe a twitch, pause, twitch, pause. So, you know, everybody will develop their own systematic way of, of working it. And if you're catching fish, you're probably going to do that, mimic that same retrieve again, I'm guessing. So uh, um, it is, uh, it, I think it was, I think the Miradine is so successful because it was a lot easier than the 52, which is a sinking plug that we came out with in the 50s and 60s. It's simply easier to fish. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, one of the things I love about the Miradine is I tend to think of it as a primary search bait, too. That when, I, when I'm not sight fishing, I'm still looking for the fish. The Miradine is a great search bait. It sure is. All right. So you mentioned the 52. So I've got a quick story for you. Um, okay. So when I was a kid, and I mean a little kid, like four or five years old, my addiction to fishing had emerged in full blossom. And one day I'm walking on the beach with my family and I find an old mirror lure 52M washed up on the beach. And this is the classic among classics of mirror lures. And the hooks were rusted and broken. The classic redhead and white body pattern was chipped a little, but not too much. And the lure had clearly been in the water for a long time. I took it home and I put it in my tackle box. Now, about 10 years later, as a young teenager, when I was starting to fish solo a lot, I put two new hooks on it and decided to fish with it. And I am not making this up, but on my first cast with it, wham, I catch a 15-inch trout. Not a monster gator trout, but that recycled mirror lure proved its effectiveness even as old as it was. True story. Now That is such a great story. The, well, the 52M series has been around, and you just mentioned the 50s, around for a long time, and it remains one of the best trout lures available. What is it about that design, that simplicity of design, that leads it to its effectiveness? It's it, it's crazy. Um, 
You know, the okay, the 52 and the TT, we sell them, you know, back in the 50s and 60s. Everything you caught, you kept in eight. That's just the way it was. So I think that's why Grandpa Harold put three hooks on many of the lures back in that era. That's my 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 feelings. So, but he was so meticulous in the design of his products. The 52M and the TT, if you were to grab those lures, throw them. In your pool, they actually will stand up on the hooks. That's how well balanced that plug is. And um, to this day, we still sell, you know, hundreds of thousands of them. I mean, people really like to throw them in the surf, in uh, cold water conditions where there may be, you know, um, fishing six feet of water, five feet of water, seven feet of water. It sinks at a foot per second. So you can count the lure down. And it's a bait that you can basically reel and barely bumps. You know, it's used in, again, cold water conditions. And uh, it's just, it out, it catches fish. And even in Texas, um, Sid, they um, they use it in, in their beach fishing because it's it's heavy enough where they can get long distance throwing their bait casters. And we sell a lot of 51s, TTs, and 52s for surf fishermen. And that's pretty much May and June in, in uh, Texas area. So when you teach people how to fish the 52, what are the key pointers you give them? I say slow down and do nothing, basically. Basically reel it and give it a bump every now and then, you know? Reel it maybe, I would say, a foot, foot and a half. Give it a small little bump. If you twitch it, the lure, if you twitch your rod tip too hard, the lure will foul. That's one thing. If you see that front hook coming up, riding up, grabbing the monofilament or your leader material of choice, you're overworking that bait. A slight little rod tip will cause that lure to actually roll. That's where you get the flash from on the 52, the 50, and the TT, uh, TTR, STTR, all the sinking um, twitch baits that we offer. Excellent. So let's shift away from mirror lure per se, and let's talk about the Paul Brown series. Okay. Certainly the Paul Brown original has earned a reputation among inshore anglers, but so have the newer soft, soft Dean, I think we're going to go with now, right? That's true. Yeah. And the soft dog. And I'm particularly interested in the soft dog, which is a kind of walk the dog mullet imitator that has a similar design to a few hard body topwaters on the market. But he uses that soft material instead of a hard plastic. What's the thought behind that design? Well, obviously, the thought process is, you know, um, when he comes up and slaps at it, you know, it's a softer product. Um, through our testing, um, we, you know, we, we did really well fishing that bait. And it was just one of those things that we wanted to be the, you know, one of the first on the market to have a soft um surface bait and that just fits so well in that Paul Brown category. So obviously soft bait, soft presentation. He comes up for possibility of him coming back if he misses it, which you do miss a lot of fish. Um, the soft dog casts extremely well at an ounce. It works really well, easy to walk. However, it's best in calmer situations since it sits a little lower in the water, Sid. But um, and and we sell some of them. Uh, some of the guys that have 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 tried them um, have have really liked them and and continue to use them. But it's one of those uh, lures in the Paul Brown 
uh, lineup that probably doesn't get the recognition that it so so deserves. You know, um, our Fat Boy is so popular, like you mentioned, the original and the 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 Softine Softine XL. You know, those are the core. Um, but we do have some new uh, some new baits that we're going to roll up. Uh, we actually made some changes to our tidal surge um, maniac mullet and crazy croaker. So we're going to roll them under the uh, Paul Brown lineup. So uh, I think uh, uh, you'll see that here at, uh, uh, at ICAST. Excellent. I love those two lures. When I reviewed them, I had so much fun fishing them. The action on those things are incredible. Um, you also brought back Paul Brown Corky, which um, I think is one of the most perpetually sold out lures I've ever encountered because they're so popular. What is it about the Corky that makes it so popular among inshore anglers? Well, we can't, we really, we can't call, we can't use the name Corky. That's owned by another lure company in, in the industry. So that's why we sort of renamed it uh, Paul Brown Lures. So, um, but, you know, it was one of those perfect situations for a manufacturer. Uh, Paul Brown and his wife were making them uh, in, in their garage and they just couldn't keep up with supplies. So, the first year, I mean, we were able to just um, make probably four times the amount or five times the amount that he did out of his garage. And um, we were able to supply. But it's interesting, Sid, because when, you know, the majority of the sales were always in Texas. I was doing a show in North Carolina and this guy walked up to me. He says, I'd like to see the Paul Browns. I said, here we are in North Carolina. How do you know about Paul Brown lures? He said, all he said to me was, was an older gentleman, he says, I'm a trout fisherman, son. And that, you know, that pretty much shows it that, you know, if you're a serious trout fisherman, you're aware of the products that are being used. And now, obviously, with the Internet and great shows like, we're, you know, like you have, you know, the word gets out. And, you know, thank goodness, because now we're selling more Paul Browns in Florida and North Carolina than we ever have. So uh, we just have been so fortunate. I had, in fact, the first time I had heard about, about it were from some friends in Texas that were fishing it. And um, I thought this would make a great lure in the Pamlico Sound in North Carolina as well. So, yeah, that, that movement is fantastic across the country like that. I got to admit, I probably need to add one to my review list and get some video of them in action for the review pages on Inventive Fishing. But that's uh, something I'll have to do this spring. All right. So um, I'm going to jump back for a minute before I uh, get back to actual fishing and I want to get you to talk about conservation for a minute. And I've heard you talk about seeing the big picture when it comes to conservation, both on captain Chris's, the speckled truth podcast and on captain CA Richardson flat class podcast. So I know that you have a dedication to fisheries and fishery habitat conservation. Could you talk about your thoughts on conservation? Sure. You know um, you know, the topic of, of, of clean water um, in, in Florida is, is so important. And there's uh, some, some great initiatives right now, um, you know, moving towards that. And, um, you know, I think folks need to be aware of that, that, you know, bass fishermen do a great job, you know, they'll go out and catch lots of bass at the end of the day, they'll either release everything or, um, you know, or, or, or weigh them and then release them. But in salt water, we got to recognize it's not an endless supply. You know, I'm all, I, I, I'm, 
I love to eat fish and I'll definitely take, you know, uh, definitely some fish home. But I think we got to recognize that it's okay to let those big breeders go, you know, the trout over 20 inches. I mean, that's just a great initiative to just let them go, let somebody else catch them and let them do their thing in nature, you know, and, um, We've been hit hard on the west coast of Florida here. Um, you know, our trout, we had some bad red tides and uh, our trout fishery really took a suffering. So you go through that and, you know, I had I didn't trout fish for like two and a half years because I didn't want to put any pressure on the fish. And fortunately, we've got other species that we can fish for. But um, in, in, in Mother Nature's resilient, they're definitely coming back. But it made me recognize even more. That you know what we it's okay to take a few fish, but those big ones let's let let's return them to to nature and let them do their things. And that's the same way with redfish, snook, and trout. You know our big three in Florida. You know, so uh, those are my feelings. That's really great. It's really important stuff, and I'm always inspired to see industry leaders like yourself promoting that kind of conservation thinking. So let me give you another quick story. Uh, recently I was talking with Jim Hendricks of saltwater sportsman. I believe, you know, Jim. Oh yeah. And we were chatting and I asked Jim about his favorite places to fish. And he mentioned Charlotte Harbor. And he started to tell me a story about fishing with you and your twin brother, Frank, who guides out of Boca Grande. And, um, you all were waiting along the, the islands down there, casting white bait for snook about 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about waiting and dragging a bait net behind him when he felt something tugging at the bait net, only to turn around and find a nurse shark chewing on his bait net. Now, when he told me this story, I kind of froze and I said, hey, Jim, if you will recall when that happened, you were at a bear advertising media trip sponsored by Suzuki and Penn, and I was standing right there with you. We had completely forgotten that we had all met way back then and that we were fishing with you and your brother. Yeah. So first, I have to ask you, do you remember that? And second, I have a vague memory that your boat was a custom built hull that had an incredibly wide beam. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, you're you're remembering that. So that goes way back. That's when uh, when really, um, you know, there it was excellent, excellent fishing right there. Um, and um, my brother was uh, was really good at, at, at putting us on some good quality fish and it was all about, you know, getting some good photo fish for Suzuki and Penn. And, and we had some good times. I remember those trips and boy, we did catch some nice fish. I remember that. And I remember the shark issue. And I think we, uh, even Frank said, well, he won't bother you. Just keep fishing. You know, it was something like that. And it was like, your Jim's eyes were like as wide as saucers, you know, like, uh, I think let's go back in the boat. What about this waiting thing? But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, those are great, great times. And um, I remember that that had to be in, I think, in the early 90s uh, there. And uh, we were fishing the Pine Island Sound uh, with my brother. And the boat was an old Tremblay. It's a, it was a mullet hull from Chiefland that uh, my brother put together. And we were using that. And I think we had a couple chase boats there as well. Um, but I remember that trip. And uh, we, we, it, was, it was a lot of fun. What was the logic on such a wide beam for an inshore boat? Well, I think it was able to run shallow. You know, most of the the Trembley was a well boat, had the motor up front typically, but Frank put uh, 200 in the back. It originally had, I think, uh, 200 mercury on it. And so it's big and wide. It, it, it got up on a plane real fast, but um, I don't know if you remember this. I don't know if it was rough or calm. I think it was pretty calm, so we didn't get beat up, but it was like riding a door, you know. It it, uh, it would certainly beat you up. So now he's, uh, now he's, he's driving a different boat here. He's he just bought a new 25 Avenger and um, 
and uh, he said he he's going to name that one Last Office. It's the last boat oh, that he's going to buy before he retires. He said so. Um, anyways, good times. I'll have to come back down and uh, get with him before he before he retires and get on the water with you. That would be fun. It's going to be quite a few years before he retires, but uh, anyways, we definitely need to get a trip together on that. Sid, oh, that would be fantastic. I'd love to film with you guys again. You know, I was tempted to ask you about your 2006 season with the FLW Redfish Series, but, uh, you know, I think you fished one event with the one top 10 finish, and uh, you don't do a lot of competitive fishing, though, do you? No, um, it was it was a lot of fun. I do enjoy it. I, I fish a little. Uh, my, my, my teenage daughter, well, she's not a teenager anymore. She's 21, uh, but Shelby and I fish uh, the Bay Area Bassmasters with Tom Mahoney. So we do a little, a little competitive fishing, but we're not so competitive in freshwater. I think it was uh, some irony there where my, my, my daughter said, hey, dad, let's go freshwater fishing. And I, I said, okay, let's go freshwater fishing. And we've had a lot of fun with it. And we look forward to fishing those little things. But I fished a few tournaments, you know, and it was just one of those things when I was on the water now. Uh, I'm not on the water, you know, very much anymore. Um, I've got to be here at the office, you know, moving product out the door. So it was fun. So let's go back to the idea that there are so many new anglers trying fishing for the first time. So right now, if you were going to hand a new angler a box of mirror lures to use for the first time, what would you put in that box? How many, how many, how many uh, items in the box, Sid? Oh, let's go with like a, Plano box and put we'll put you know six to ten in there. Okay, let's make it easy. Let's do four. Okay. okay? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, no, four or five. That'll be fine. Um, uh, you know, uh the first the paddle tail, a small little uh paddle tail, our marshmallow junior with a with a quarter ounce head. Quarter ounce head seems like it's a lot, but it allows a, a new angler to be able to cast a long ways. Great uh, casting distance makes a key especially here on the West coast where there's a lot of pressure. You want to cast far, you'll catch more fish period with that paddle tail. You just throw it out there, reel it back. I'd also have um, the Miradine. We talked about the Miradine, how effective that is in shallow situations, probably um, the heavy Dean um, that allow you to fish those areas, a little deep, deeper water, the same size, you know, um, as the Miradine. And then um it would be probably our little John tail, our little John tail. It looks like nothing. It's a twitch bait. It's a soft plastic again on a quarter ounce head. And I think with those four baits right there, you can catch, I know for a fact, you can catch anything um, in that Brownsville to, um, you know, Chesapeake Bay uh, markets. So just four of those baits right there, as far as colors go, um, soft baits. I like dark colors like avocado, golden brim. Um, I do like a pearl, which is not a dark color, but pearl in that little paddle tail is hard to beat in clear water. It really is. And then as far as the hard baits go, um, I like natural colors like our skin series or, um, green back color, you know, green with a pearl belly, black with a pearl belly, um, natural colors in the hard baits. If I get in stained water conditions, you know, go with a little bit of brightness, go with a chartreuse, go with an orange, you know, the 808, the Halloween or 808 color is always good. It also offers a gold uh, scale uh, insert inside the bait. And that seems to work really well in dark conditions. So um, 
so those would be the be, be the top four for that I would choose as my personal favorites, as well as somebody new to fishing. Excellent. So I know it's always a chancy thing to ask about a lure manufacturer's competition, but I was curious as to whether you ever fish with any of your competitors' lures, not necessarily to see how they work and what the competition is up to, but because you like fishing with them. You know what? I'll, I I know the competition. I can know the competition pretty well. And, you know, we've it keeps you on your toes. This, these companies are really, really good. I mean, you know, Zuri is fantastic, makes great products. So does Rapala. I mean, Rapala, they're worldwide. They When they come out with a bait, it's well done. Strike King crankbaits, we use a lot of those in fresh water. I don't know how they get those to swim true. Every one of them that I've ever picked up swims true. So I know about the competition and it keeps us on our toes. Excellent. So one final question. This is the question that I ask every guest on the Fishing Professor Show. You have a reputation as an inshore specialist, and the numbers of trout, red, snook, flounder, and such that you've caught are probably innumerable, but what's your grail fish? What's the one fish on your bucket list, the fish that you really want to catch one day? Oh, wow. I never thought I was going to catch a blue marlin, and I was fortunate to be visiting our uh our sister factory in Costa Rica and we went, uh, you know, offshore, um, and, uh, I caught a small blue Marlin. never thought I was going to catch that. So to answer that, I'd probably like to catch a Payara, which I'm sure you know what they are. They got the big teeth. It just, it looks like such an intimidating fish. They're supposed to be really strong. Uh, also the golden Dorado. I would love to catch one of those. And I think those are Argentina fish. Um, and, uh, but that payara was, has got those teeth and I've seen them cut through some of our heavy plastic, big diving lures. I've seen them punk punch holes and those wall thicknesses are like quarter ounce. I'm thinking the jaw, you know, that, that, and the teeth, how sharp they are. I'd love to catch one of those. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. Eric, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. I know that this is a conversation I'm going to remember every time I'm casting a mirror lure. And really, really grateful for you taking the time to talk with us today. Hey, thank you for having me. I love, uh, I love listening to uh, the stories, you know, you, you know, and, and uh, it's just, it's iconic. It's, I, I love what I do. I'm so fortunate that uh, my grandfather built this legacy and uh, we'll try to try to keep things rolling along the tracks. Sounds great. Thanks, Eric. That's Eric Bochnik with Mirror Lures. Okay, it is time for this week's top 10 list. And this week, I want to look at a kind of generic category of inshore lures and take a look at my top 10 favorite search baits. But before we get into the top 10 lures themselves, I think it's important to give a little background about search baits because it really is truly a generic term and maybe even an ambiguous term. The idea of search baits comes to us through bass fishing and anglers fishing in unknown waters. The idea of a search bait, just like the name implies, is to locate fish, not to cast to where you know the fish already are. And a lot of our fishing time is spent trying to find fish, and search baits are the lures you would cast in your search. So for this top 10, I'm going to look at the top 10 lures I use inshore when trying to find fish. Now, of course, when you're fishing, excuse me, where you're fishing and what kinds of fish populate that region, or even the kind of water you're fishing, like the flats versus canals, and what kinds of fish you're looking for certainly affect what kinds of search baits you'll want to use. 
That being the case, it might be easier to simply list 10 kinds of lures rather than specific lures. For example, I could easily say the top 10 search baits are bucktail spoons, crankbaits, lip plugs, poppers, twitch baits, plastic jerk baits, shrimp baits, and topwater plugs. But that really doesn't tell you much of anything because that's basically every kind of lure there is. That's like when my students at UF ask me, Professor Dobrin, what should I read? And I respond with books. Not very helpful, not very professional. Of course, the problem with answering a question like, what should I read or what search bait should I use, is that no matter what I tell you, there's a good chance you're going to end up not seeing the value in the book or the lure that I did or in the way that I did it. In fact, when I train new writing teachers, I always tell them not to teach the books they love the most because inevitably their students won't love the books or connect with the books in the same way they did when they fell in love with the book, and that can be really disappointing as a teacher. Same thing is true when recommending something as ambiguous as a search bait. The difference is that students really ought to listen to their teachers, and you really ought to trust me on these search baits, even though this is an eclectic list of lures of various types and purposes. So let's get rolling on this week's top 10 list of the Fishing Professor's top 10 books you should read. Wait, nope, sorry, wrong list. It's my top 10 search bait list. Let's kick it off with a reliable all-purpose multi-species lure, the Bomber Saltwater Grade Mullet. I like this lure as a search bait because it's a slow sinking twitch bait. I like its fall rate as it doesn't just drop to the bottom, which is important in order to keep the bait up off the bottom while covering a good portion of the water column. This is one of those versatile design baits, too, that attracts all kinds of inshore species, ranging from stripers and bluefish to trout, redfish, snook, jacks, flounders, tarpon, and so on. I've even had inshore snapper and grouper pound the bomber saltwater-grade mullet. It's just the right size, three and a half inches long and weighing five-eighths of an ounce. Great for casting and for being in the prey size range for just about all inshore game fish. It comes in seven color patterns, but I tend to fish the silver mullet and the redhead flash. I have to give credit, too, to Bomber for rigging the saltwater-grade mullet with saltwater-grade hardware. The number two treble hooks are corrosion-resistant and really rugged. At number nine, I'm going to go with Spro's white bucktail. Now, again, it would be easy for me just to say a white bucktail, which would be accurate, and bucktails make ideal search baits. But I'm going to specifically identify the Spro white bucktail because of the head shape and the position of the rigging eye on the head. The eye position on the Spro White Bucktail keeps the bucktail in parallel position, and the hydrodynamic shape of the head keeps the whole lure gliding through the water. I also like that you can get this same motion in all size of the lures, ranging from the quarter-ounce size up to the eight-ounce size. Of course, the size you want will depend on the rod and reel you're using and the depth and the current of the water you're fishing. For inshore search patterns, I generally like to throw the Spro Bucktail in the half to one and a half ounce sizes. And yes, the Spro Bucktail jig comes in a high voltage rainbow of colors, but when it comes to using bucktail jigs as search baits, I am a traditionalist and I like to stick with the all white pattern. Okay, at number eight, I'm gonna go with the Acme Castmaster Spoon, but I wanna emphasize that for a search bait, I like to go with the version that comes with a bucktail teaser both the treble hook version and the single hook version. As great of an all-purpose lure that the Castmaster Spoon is, I just fish the bucktail teaser to add another layer of enticement to the lure. And when you're searching for fish, the more attractors you can have on the lure, the better. Unlike a lot of spoons out there, the Castmaster is designed with distance casting in mind. I also like its tight flutter retrieve. 
It's also one of the most corrosive resistant spoons out there. So I like being able to use them over and over and over for many years. I also like that the hooks on the cast mas Castmaster are affixed to the lure by way of a split ring, which allows me to switch out hooks should they be bent or worn down. I should note too that the Castmaster spoon with bucktail teaser comes in three color variations, all in all chrome, a golden yellow, and a chrome and blue. I use all three of these and find them to be equally great search baits. All right, at number seven, I'm going to go with Live Target's Penfish Swim Bait. Now, this is a lure that I've reviewed before and that has appeared on other top 10 lists. If you want to see my video gear review of the Live Target Penfish Swim Bait, it's available at InventiveFishing.com and on the Inventive Fishing YouTube channel. The Live Target Penfish Swim Bait is one of the best penfish imitators out there, and I find it to be a great search bait. It comes in two sizes, a three and a half inch, three quarter ounce version and a four inch, one ounce version. I prefer the smaller of the two when searching. It comes in two lifelike color options also. All of the live target swim baits are designed to swim like the fish that they imitate and the enhanced oscillator tail on the swim baits really contributes to that lifelike pinfish swimming action. Part of why I like the Live Target Pinfish Swimbait 2 is that heavy-duty inline hook it comes pre-rigged with. All right, at number six, let's go to a classic, versatile, reliable lure that is a commonplace lure among inshore anglers, and that's DOA's Terrorize. The Terrorize really is a fundamental soft-body lure for any inshore fishing scenario. The standout feature of the Terrorize is its oversized eye, which is part of the internal jig head. The reflective holographic eye does a great job of attracting a predator's attention. The internalized jig head helps keep the lure swimming and reduces the possibility of snags. The DOA Terrorize comes in three sizes, a tiny two-inch version, a regular two and three-quarter inch version, and the big one at four inches. I rely on the regular size for searching. The Terrorize are available in about 50 color options, giving you lots of options for local conditions or your personal preference. At number five, let's give Egret Bates Voodoo Mullet some serious credit. And yes, this is another lure that I reviewed, and you can check out that video gear review at InventiveFishing.com or on the Inventive Fishing YouTube channel. And yes, this is one of my sillier reviews, but it's fun, and it'll give you a bit more insight about the Voodoo Mullet. The Voodoo Mullet is a segmented swim bait with incredibly articulated swimming action. It's super rugged, made from a tough TPE plastic, and the segmented tail is strengthened with an internal mesh. It comes in two sizes, a 3.5-inch quarter-ounce version and a 4.5-inch uh, one-ounce version. As a search bait, I prefer the 3.5 version. It's available in 14 color variations, but as a search bait, I tend to use the Voodoo Mullet Gold Croaker pattern and the Voodoo Mullet Blue Herring pattern, though I also like the Stripe Mullet pattern as well. And number four, I'm going with another soft body lure with Bass Assassin's Salty Snack. This is a lure that gets used a lot when targeting speckled trout. But as far as soft body lures goes, its unique design and its reactive darting action make it a great search bait as well. You can get it with a weedless style worm hook that when rigged keeps the hook point inside the lure, making it both weedless and also really hydrodynamic. I fish it with a weighted weedless hook to give it a little bit of better sinking action, but the supplied hook you can rig it with without a hook, without a weight, 
keeping the lure in the water column or just below the surface, you can rig it with a drop weight to get it down while freeing its darting action. This is a five inch lure with great rib body design, comes in a dozen color options, though I will tell you that I have fished the glow chartreuse tail with great success. At number three, let's go to another all-time classic lure, the Mirror Lure 52M. Now, when I say classic lure, what I mean is that this lure has been around for a while, and it has been around for a while because it is a consistent fish catcher. The Mirror Lure 52M is a sinking twitch bait. It's got great darting action, rugged dual treble hooks, about 18 color variations, and the reputation of one of the best inshore lures ever to be produced. It measures three and five eighths inches and weighs in at a half ounce. It's an ideal lure for searching in water three to eight feet. And the triple treble hook rig pretty much ensures hookups, even with the timidest of strikes. That would be the most timid of strikes. Way to go, English teacher. And that brings us to number two, the runner-up. And I'm giving props to Fish Bites Dirty Boxer Curly Tails. These soft body lures come to us from Fish Bites, the company that created those great scented infused strips that revolutionized the scented bait industry. Using a really durable construction, Fish Bites has molded its infused material into a five-inch curly tail soft body that pairs nicely with just about any jig head, wide gap worm hook, weedless hook, weighted hook, or other rigging option you might use with a curly tail. I like rigging them with a simple jig head. The soft body and phenomenal scent dispersal attracts fish and entices solid strikes. They come in eight color patterns, but as a search bait, I prefer the high visibility the counter punch, and the white knuckle patterns. Seriously, if you're fishing inshore, you should keep a couple of bags of dirty boxers in your tackle. And yeah, I know that the dirty boxer theme with colors like white knuckle, counter punch, tap out, knockout, and others is supposed to convey the toughness of a prize fighter. But I'm sorry for saying so, but every time I hear the name dirty boxer, all I can think about is my laundry hamper filled with my crusty old skivvies. Dirty boxers. And that brings us to my number one search bait. But as always, before we get to the big reveal, let's do a quick recap. At number 10, Bomber's Saltwater Grade Mullet. At number 9, Spro's White Bucktail. At number 8, Acme Castmaster Spoon, Single Hook with a Bucktail Trailer. At number 7, Live Target's Pinfish Swim Bait. At number 6, DOA's Terrorize. At number 5, Egret Bait's Voodoo Mullet. At 4, Saltwater Assassin's Salty Snack. At three, Mirror Lures 52M, and focus on that red and white body. And number two, Fish Bites Dirty Boxer Curly Tails. And that leaves us with my number one inshore search bait, which is... Bum, ba, da, bum. Wait for it. Unfair Lures Arrowhead. You'll hear me talk often about the great lures that Paul Van Reenen designs for Unfair Lures. And among those, I have to say that the Arrowhead is flat out an ideal search bait. Its unique design makes it a phenomenal distance casting lure, and its retrieval action is comparable to a walk-the-dog action, but underwater. It's more of a shallow water or just subsurface lure, and it runs best in depths between a foot and three feet down. I love that the Arrowhead rigging eye comes with a barrel swivel rather than a fixed place eye, letting the lure move more freely, and the swivel prevents spinning and line knotting. Of course, like most of the unfair lures, the Arrowhead has Unfair's patented 3D bleeding gills, which is a kind of marabou or flashaboo that is built into the lure, giving the visual impression of an injured and bleeding fish. 
Unique two is the arrowhead to the arrowhead. Unique two to the arrowhead as well as some other unfair lures is the transverse barb style hooks. The arrowhead measures in at 2.7 inches and weighs a half ounce. That makes it ideal for casting lines in the range of 8 to 20 pound class. They come in about 16 or so colors and I'm a big fan of the pearl gold and the pearl chartreuse when searching. So those are my top 10 search baits. And as always, if you want to recommend another lure for me to take a look at, or that you think ought to be on my list, or at least on my radar, please let me know. You can always drop me a line ha, 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 when you're not wetting a line at Sid at InventorFishing.com. Please keep in mind too, that the Fishing Professor Rodcast is not sponsored. So none of the products appear in my list with manufacturer influence. Of course, like any other patriotic American, I am more than willing to accept payment for preferential treatment of products under the guise of sponsorship, bribery, kickbacks, perks, and influence peddling. That's just the kind of guy I am or the kind of guy I'd like to be. And as always, if you'd like the Fishing Professor's Top 10 about a particular fishing-related thing, just send me an email and I'll see about adding it to my list for future Top 10s. Thank you so much. That's the Top 10 list this week. It's barbin break time, that time in the rod cast when we put down the rod and pick up the bottle for a little pouring instead of casting. So let me lure you in. In today's bourbon break, I want to talk a bit about a very popular bourbon, Bullet Bourbon, which the folks at Bullet market as a frontier whiskey. It's an interesting subtitle to the bourbon name, particularly given the popular origin story of this fashionable bourbon. So in the origin story, Tom Bullitt, who started distilling Bullet Bourbon back in 1987, explains that his great-great-grandfather and tavern keeper, Augustus Bullitt, developed the recipe for Bullet Bourbon back around 1830 and distilled it between 1830 and 1860. Now, if this is true, we're talking about a recipe that predates the American Civil War. But sometime in 1860, old Augustus Bullitt vanished while delivering his bourbon from his distillery in Louisville, Kentucky to New Orleans. So in 1987, Augustus's great-great-grandson Tom left his law practice and revitalized great-great-granddad's distilling practices. Of course, like other great bourbon stories, this one turns corporate when Seagram bought the Bullet brand in 1997 and distribution across the U.S. kicked off in 1999. Eventually, though, Seagram's bought Bullet and then Kieran bought Seagram's and Diageo bought Kieran. Now Kieran owns the Four Roses brand of bourbons, and it turns out that Bullet outsources its bourbon, and for a while, Four Roses has been supplying Bullet. So chances are when you're drinking Bullet, you're really drinking a Four Roses derivative, and it's probably just not great granddaddy's Augustus's pride and joy. Anyway, so Karen buys the brand, and in 2017, they open a new bullet distillery in Shelbyville, Kentucky, further fueling the great Shelbyville-Springfield rivalry that is exemplified in the annual Pigskin Classic. And according to Simpsons Fandom Wikipedia, by the way, the Shelbyville motto is Springfield sucks. Sorry, off track. The non-Simpsons stuff is available online, so no real insider knowledge there, but back to the bullet. So Bullet Bourbon has skyrocketed in popularity, and everyone digs the cool old-timey bottle design that enhances that pre-Civil War ethos. The glorious liquid inside that bottle makes the bottle shine like an amber jewel. It's not a darker caramel color, but almost like a golden honey color. 
Its mash bill shows it is a very rye-heavy bourbon with a mix of 68% corn, 28% rye, and 4% malted barley. It's a 90-proof bourbon, so the alcohol doesn't overtake the flavors like happens with some of the higher-alcohol bourbons. The nose of the bullet bourbon leans on the sweet side, but that makes sense given the high rye content. I tend to find the nose to suggest vanilla and honey, but it's the oak that dominates, but not like a smoky oak, more like a rich lumber oak. As to the taste, I find the taste highlights that rye sweetness, but there's also a heaviness to the bourbon, not in an off-putting way, but you got to be ready to bite the bullet. In fact, when I first encountered bullet, I was surprised at how popular it was because it doesn't have that totally smooth sweet taste that most drinkers prefer. It's mellow, sure but even thin at points in the palate spectrum. But there's something in it, particularly toward the end of the drink, that reminds you that there's a frontier roughness still in this recipe. I tend to think of that roughness not as an alcohol burn, but as a kind of peppery spiciness that hits and then lingers throughout the taste. I kind of want the flavor to end with an emphasis on the rye, like a hint of sweet fruit, but it never really emerges. Ultimately, I guess that the bourbon's popularity comes from its lack of complexity. It's a pretty straightforward rye-heavy bourbon with nothing notable. Don't get me wrong, it's a suitable bourbon, and it looks good on the shelf, and it's pleasant. I drink it often. So my recommendation is that you pick up a bottle or two, and it's pretty reasonable at about 30 bucks a bottle. And when your bourbon neophyte friends come over, pull it down and tell them it's a great pre-Civil War heritage bourbon, and tell them it's a fine bourbon. I also think it makes uh, not a half-bad old-fashioned, and that mix and that mixing it will add some of the sweet that the bullet lacks in the end. So that's it for the bourbon break for this week. But before we get back on the water, and as a final note in my regular disclaimer, as always, please keep in mind that the Fishing Professor Bourbon Break reviews are not sponsored. The distillers have not sent me samples, nor do they influence my reviews at all. Though, as always, I am open to sponsorship, bribery, and extortion. The bourbons I review were purchased out of pocket, and my reviews are based on the keen sense of bourbon know-how that I have developed over many years in many of this country's finest watering holes, drinking establishments, dives, pubs, honky-tonks, and back-alley speakeasies. Speaking of, let me give a quick shout-out to The Hub in Tampa, Florida, and for those of you who know The Hub, you know that this was no amateur's bar. Hell, I think the barkeep would just wring out the bar towel in your glass and you'd have a 10 ounce of drunk sitting in front of you already. All a great way to drown your misery after a day of getting skunked on Tampa Bay. So remember that pain makes you stronger, tears make you braver, heartbreak makes you wiser, and whiskey makes you not remember any of that crap. As always, if you've got comments about this week's bourbon break, feel free to email me at sid at inventivefishing.com. And that's that. Now let's get back to the fishing. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Fishing Professor Show. I want to thank Eric Bochnik of Marilure for joining me in the Inshore Offshore Digital Studio. You can check out all of the great Marilure lures, as well as Paul Brown lures, Island lures, drone spoons, tidal surge lures, and a bunch of other great stuff at shopmarilure.com. Now, before we say goodbye, I do have a message for our brothers and sisters out there behind the line. The hook is on the line. I say again, the hook is on the line. 
And that brings us to the end of another Fishing Professor show. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to the channel so you don't miss a single damn episode. And we've got a great new episode in the works for next week. So mark your calendars and set your alarms so you don't sleep through it. As always, please be sure to share the Fishing Professor show with your fishing pals and all of those other people who don't fish and yet you manage to tolerate them anyway. As always, too, if you have a comment or a question about anything on this week's show or have recommendations for future top tens, bourbon breaks, interviews, or information about specific products, please feel free to email me at sid at inventivefishing.com. Be sure to check out the Inventive Fishing webpages and be sure to follow us on Twitter and friend us on Facebook at Inventive Fishing. I'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, this is Sid Dobrin, the fishing professor. Fish on. The Fishing Professor Show is copyrighted by Inventive Fishing, LLC. Any rebroadcast of the podcast without the consent from Inventive Fishing, LLC is strictly prohibited. Fish on!